All right. Hey guys, welcome back to the Fashion School Dropout. Today's guest is fashion stylist slash art director slash costume designer, Melinda Chutesa. So some of Melinda's past clients have included big names like Google, Atlantic Records, Universal, Warner Music, Rosario Dawson, Natasha Bedingfield, just to name a few. So welcome to the podcast, Melinda. I'm so excited to have you. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Great. So you're a woman of many talents. Um, when did you first realize that you wanted to pursue a career as a costume designer slash stylist? I went into it from a really roundabout way. I originally moved to LA to do acting, which I'm finding is actually a really common thing I hear. People say, oh, I moved to LA to be an actor or an actress. And then I realized that there was something more pragmatic that I could be doing or something that actually got my interest peaked a little bit more. So that's what I came here for. And then I realized that I didn't really have as much of a passion for it as I thought I did, even though I never really understood why people complained about how hard it was to get an agent because I've had four <laughs> or, <laughs> uh, or why people were complaining about why it's so hard to get into SAG because I had all my SAG vouchers and I was very blase about it. And I kept also getting sucked back into working high-end retail or working styling. And then I started working at Bloomingdale's and had managed a couple of high-end secondhand shops that resell couture and was working at Bloomingdale's and then the recession came and I had an internship also while I was in fashion school, which I dropped out of proudly. <laughs> and, uh, what's that? I said that's perfect for fashion school dropout. That's why we're having you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am an official fashion school dropout, high school dropout, ne'er-do-well, uh, library reading book, uh, library book borrowing, self-taught type of person. I'm like, I would like to say the goodwill hunting of fashion styling, but, but that's also debatable uh, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> I don't know. Previous clients may 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 agree or disagree. We're not sure yet. Um, that's out out for vote. We'll, we'll let you know when that comes back. But I was working at, yeah, it's, at, it's up for debate. Um, so I was working at Bloomingdale's and I had an internship and I was going to Santa Monica College for fashion design. And they have a good fashion program, by the way, for anybody who is thinking about going there. Um, and uh, a lot of the professors there teach at other very well-known schools um, that are based in LA that also teach fashion that I can't say, but I will let you imagine which school that might be. <laughs> so um, if you're looking for a really great education and you do want to not drop out, um, then Santa Monica College is a good option. But I was going there and I had my internship in downtown and the recession hit and Bloomingdale's fired a bunch of the top producers and let a bunch of people go generally. So I ended up working full time at my internship, which was at a gown company. And um, that was the first company that I worked at. And I started styling from there because they hired a really bad stylist who just kind of stood around. I think I remember her, she had a little apron on with safety pins stuck to it, and she just kept fiddling with the safety pins and looking around while myself and the creative director for the gown company did all the styling and the work. Um, so from there, it's, I've, I had some really funny experiences telling the creative director, no, we don't want to put this gown on this celebrity. And we got delisted and he didn't listen to me. So we, got, we made it on delisted, which I don't think that's around anymore, but yeah, that but was wonderful. That like fashion police or something? Kind of. So back in the day in 2009, yeah, it was 2009. I have, 
I have the photo here on my desk of of that day after the shoot, back when people still did printed photos. So the photographer, he took a group shot of us and then he made prints of them and then he sent them to us, which was really sweet actually. I still have that photo uh, to this day. So that was my first real fashion shoot. And um, it was basically, where was I going with this? <laughs> Your humble beginning Help me out here. of becoming a stylist oh, yeah. costume designer. I'm I'm sorry. It's 5:30 p.m. and I'm not drunk. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's just a Friday. It's okay. I'm I'm thinking about other people having happy hour right now, and it's making me act drunk. So I apologize. Um, yeah, so I still have that photo. Oh, yeah, and uh, it was 2009. The date is on the photo, so that's why I remember. And back in the day, it was the days of MySpace and early Facebook, and we basically had uh, Perez Hilton and D-Listed and uh, Just Jared were the three main gossip rags at the time. And the woman that... I said, please don't give this woman a gown. I'm not going to say who she was because she's a nice enough person and I've run into her since then. Um, but just definitely not really, definitely a D-list, possibly F-list at this point, celebrity. Oh, and uh, and she got D-list has no in the gown. <laughs> What's that? So I was saying, disclaimer, Melinda has no filter and we love it. We need your honesty. I have, I have a filter. I I am honest, but I have some discretion. So I'm not going to call this person out because she's a very sweet person. But she did get delisted in our gown, and that was my first experience with red carpet. <laughs> and I begrudgingly helped her get dressed. It was a very awkward and funny story. It's a it's a a longer story, but we'll save it for another podcast, maybe. <laughs> Part two. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how I got started. And then I went and worked at another gown company after that. So this is still during the recession when it was really bad for most fashion brands were kind of shuddering at that point. A lot of stores were closing. They weren't putting in orders. Um, but for whatever reason, people are still really into bridal and juniors, even when the economy is bad. So I was working in junior, bridal, mother of the bride, and I went to work for another company. Um, and their lookbooks were so awful. And I was doing sales for them. And I said, look, guys, and this was back when people didn't really know what PDFs were necessarily. It was weird to send somebody a PDF attachment with the line sheet on it. Um, and the line sheet for anybody who doesn't know, which you should know if you don't know, but if you should, if you here it is. It's basically uh, the upcoming season's collection, and it just shows either small images of the of the upcoming collection, or it has literal line drawings of flats of the collection, or you'd send them a lookbook, but you. Nowadays, you just email all that stuff. Back in the day, you used to have to call. So it was cold calling and blind sending tangible physical catalogs. And I had to do that. And it was terrible because the catalogs were so bad. It was embarrassing. <laughs> so I, I obviously had a very low uh, sales rate. And I convinced the owners of the company to give me $1,500 to put together a massive photo shoot. So that's the official way of how I got started styling and producing photo shoots. And I've done that for a few different companies. It was, it's a interesting, it's a very interesting thing for, at that time I thought I was getting, oh, $1,500 is a lot of money. <laughs> now I look at that and I go, that's awful. How did I do that? But you were able to pull it off and turn it into something amazing. 
I did. And you know what? I still have the catalog and I look at it now and I'm like, why did I think it was a great idea for this model to have this white, wacky bouffant? But it was also the time of Amy Winehouse. So I have to give myself some credit. Yeah. You always had to look at fashion in the context of the time. So <laughs> it seemed really high end and fashion forward at the time. Not so much anymore. <laughs> yeah, we've moved on to um, better days as far as hairstyles. But um, so how did you turn that, um, go from styling to costume design? Tell us how you okay, so I had done that for a while. I had an office here in downtown LA, which is where I live. And I'm getting another office here, which I'm looking forward to. Actually in the same building. So I guess it's all coming full circle. But I was doing that and pitching to different brands and going to Magic and all the different trade shows and meeting different brand owners and essentially building my client roster. I don't really produce as many catalogs anymore or campaign shoots, but I enjoy it a lot. Um, and uh, so I had built my portfolio up pretty well. And I, like I said, I did do acting um, and if I had wanted to pursue that, I probably could have, but I also enjoyed having money. So <laughs> I, I like to be more in my own hands than the hands of other people. And if you're a business owner who is doing a service-based business, like styling or costuming, you have a little bit more control, I think, because it's not judged based off of your appearance. It's judged based off of the appearance of your work. And you can you can decide the appearance of your styling work. If, if you have a specific aesthetic that you want to adopt, you can go a lot farther with that than trying to look like someone else. So, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't fit in with any of that stuff, but I did learn a lot from being on set when I was on set. And I had a, I had a theater background from doing theater from the age of seven to 20, 21. And I built sets and did props and did costumes in all throughout middle school, high school. And I, so I knew already how to do a proper script breakdown. And I saw a job on Craigslist for a feature. And I was like, well, uh, okay, I'll shoot over my portfolio, my um, stills, photography, uh, styling portfolio. And the director got back to me. He really liked it. And that was it. And right after that, I, after that film wrapped, I said to another random Craigslist post, um, hey, I just wrapped my first feature. Here's my styling portfolio. I'm interested. And it ended up being a production company that I worked with for the next five years after. So over the last six years, I worked with them. And uh, the first music video I ever did was Megadeth. Uh, from a random Craigslist ad. See, people, I always tell people not to sleep on Craigslist because that's where I got my first styling gig. So, of course, you know, yeah. use your discretion and be careful. If something seems too good to be true, then it probably is. But if it's a legit opportunity, don't, you know, don't sleep on Craigslist. You never know who's on there. Yeah, you never know who's on there. It's still, you have to think about the demographic that uses Craigslist is people my age and older, so 30s and up, because that's what was around when we were coming up. So it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing to look on there because people who are more established in the industry might still use that if they are in a pinch. Yeah. They're not necessarily going to go on Instagram and try to find someone. That's not second nature. So they're going to go on Craigslist and say something like, big celebrity music video. Need someone tomorrow. Yeah. Because uh, that's basically yeah. what it was. Yes. Always last minute gigs on Craigslist, guys. So be on lookout. Put those alerts. Yeah, up. but also don't harass people also. <laughs> Same oh, <yeah>. token. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That's that was that was the the one that job, um that one job on all the people that I met on that one job, the the two, actually, those two jobs that I found on Craigslist, the feature and the Megadeth job, both of those have led to every single job I've worked in the last um, 
what we're in now. It's 2019 in the last six years that I've been doing motion. Wow. Those two jobs, wow. the people that I've met, that I met on those two jobs are the reason I've worked consistently for the last years. That is incredible. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's nuts because it's like a spider web. So if you, if you, um, if you disregard it, or yeah, if you disregard it, then it's, it's not always behave on all your jobs, guys. Cause that's, that's your next uh, paycheck. That's going to come out. No, seriously. It's all about networking and maintaining relationships in this industry. Like a lot of jobs are just word of mouth or referral. Yeah. But at the same time, I will say, um, if someone's mistreating you, then don't feel pressured to maintain that relationship because the people that they would recommend you to will probably just mistreat you as well. So you don't have to curry favor. Once you're more established in your career, then you can pick and choose a little bit more and you don't have to try to curry favor with people who are not good people because you'll only get stuck being mistreated. Yeah. That can never lead anywhere positive. Uh, yeah, you might just end up really stressed out and with a really expensive therapy bill. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> well, oh, I yeah. to, um, go back to something that you briefly mentioned about script breakdowns. So let's get a little bit more into the job. So we know that no two days are the same, especially in this industry, but let's say you just put nope. a music video or a show, um, which you've done a lot of music videos. Um, Walk us through that typical week of you prepping and wrapping the job. Well, it's, it comes down to time management, right? So mm -hmm. I've, I've always thought, how can I maximize my hourly pay, right? So I try to be as efficient as possible with my own time. There's a lot of stylists that you meet. They, they're so stressed out all the time, right? And I've never assisted or I've only assisted twice ever in my whole career and that's not that's not assisting for two people in my career that's assisting two jobs in my career and i just thought they were both both of those stylists were insane and they were making themselves crazy um because they were running around all over the city no rhyme or reason scheduling appointments and ping pong ping ponging all over town or not really curating their relationships or using their relationships or their contacts to pull and stressing themselves out and purchasing stuff from commissioned employees at high-end stores instead of going through studio services, et cetera, et cetera, instead of going through showrooms and then having to lie to return all the stuff. It's just too much. It's very, very stressful. So I don't do any of that. A lot of the stuff that you hear other stylists talking about doing, I don't do any of that. I tend to I just make a list of different showrooms that I think might be interested depending on who the, the person in the music video is or the red carpet client. And you have to have really good writing skills and write pitch letters or call or text depending on your relationship with the people who have the showroom or go to studio services and um, kind of just do the, the due diligence and the research and reach out and see who goes for it and then schedule the appointments in a specific neighborhood so it makes it as easy as possible get whatever i can for free uh, and make sure that i then then after that i look at my budget for the shoot and do purchases if necessary and only purchase from places that they don't care about commission nobody's going to be in trouble or dinged or lose their money if you return and just try to be as efficient and honest as possible so that I don't stress myself out. So that's what my, my prep week usually looks like. And if I, if I have enough budget or need an assistant, then I'll delegate to my assistant. But for the most part, I just try to make it as simple and seamless as possible because I want to also make my wrap possible and seamless and, yes. and easy. Uh, so that's actually my, my week. 
and lots of mood boards too. Lots of sending inspo photos and mood boards and making decks and sending them out to directors and producers. Yeah, and I love how you mentioned, um, you know, just trying to consolidate the whole process and making sure that your pulls are all in one area because the day can become unnecessarily long if you're going from Beverly Hills to downtown Hollywood, then back to Beverly Hills trying to pull like all over the city. So. Well, a lot of people don't think about, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you can go. Oh, I was just saying that a lot of people don't think about okay, they, they go, oh my God, I'm getting a 450 day rate for prep. That's great. But if you're running around for 15 hours all over town and you're spending, let's say you end up spending $40 on gas. So there's, um, I don't know, let's just do the math really quickly. So 450 minus, let's just say $40 in gas. So 410. And then let's divide 410 by, let's just say, a 13-hour day. You're only getting $31 an hour, which is really not that great if you think about it. So you have to think, okay, how can I be as kind to myself as possible? And I say to myself, I'm not going to let myself work for less than $50 an hour today. Mm -hmm. um, so how can I make my life as efficient as possible and stay within that, that number for myself? So then that's about making sure that you're budgeting your time and being efficient and just, again, making your life as easy as possible. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And especially if you're just starting out and your rate is really low, if you're getting paid 250 for a prep day and let's just say, okay, 210 after you take out the gas. So 210 divided by let's just say a uh, 13 hour a day, that's only $16 an hour. I think you make more than that at Starbucks. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Make sure that you make, you get your check and you know, that it doesn't just go away, disappear by with those expenses. Cause they could really add up real quick. Yeah. With the, between the hourly average that you're making and gas and buying, then you're out and about and you're like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm out. I'm going to buy Chipotle. Oh, I'm, time for a coffee. So I feel next thing you know, right now in a tat, Melinda. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, are you like, Mola, I'm going to get some Chipotle. <laughs> That's literally what my diet consists of is like coffee and burritos. <laughs> but okay, I digress. Right. <laughs> I have nothing against either of those things. It's just that, you know, we just have to make sure that we're working smarter in yes. favor of ourselves instead of burning ourselves out and being really frustrated and making sure that we make our money's worth and make our money worth it. Mm-hmm. No, super good points because especially as creatives we don't really think about the business side until way after it's all said and done and then you look and then it's like oh I didn't make as much as I could have because I ended up spending it on you know, other expenses but, yeah and running around <laughs> yeah so, so um, I, yeah I know okay so, I recommend what was that sorry we keep in we keep interrupting each other. You go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, while we're still on the topic of music videos, um, well, and productions in general, I know it's a podcast and our listeners can't see you, but I just want to say Melinda is very cute and quirky and, you know, she has the giant round glasses and very great style. So actually, I think I've only ever seen you in pants once and they were bright green silk. So her style is very unique, and I say all that to bring up the fact that you styled the Catch Me Outside girl, aka Bad Baby, for one of her first music oh, videos. Oh, I'll never let that down. <laughs> we gotta talk about it. So how did that come about? Like, what, what was it like working with Bad Baby, and how did you get that gig? Because I'm like, Melinda and Bad Baby, I wish I was a fly on the wall. <laughs> that day you know what she's not that bad she's actually not that bad i i actually didn't mind her i think that um 
she is smart and her mother is smart because they're exploiting the the American desire for disaster. They are making money off of the fact that people are so intrigued by a hot mess <laughs> that they're they're like, I'm just gonna make this into a thing. This is my thing. And they're actually relatively humble, but the, you know, she does have kind of, she's very sassy. She's, but she's a kid. And people talk about her like, say really, there are adults talking smack about her. And I'm like, you're a grown up and you're talking smack about a 15 year old girl. What does that say about you? <laughs> Yeah, I think you kind of forget, despite it all, she's, like you said, a 15-year-old young girl. Like she, good for them for taking advantage of this moment, though, and turning it into this empire for her, because I saw that she just signed a deal to get um, a cosmetics line, and yeah, she's doing her thing. Yeah, she and her mother, I think, are smart, because they understand the bankability of it, and they're just going to take it as long as they can and as far as they can until it's not possible anymore. So yeah, I will say, what's that? I say you better ride it till the wheels fall off. Yeah. Why not? So I did two videos for her and it was two of the first videos. And it's funny because every time now there's some sort of a write up about her, I see the imagery from the first video that I did and it's, it's her and, I convinced her to wear this um, vintage white wedding gown from the 1950s. And I made a veil for her out of leftover lace from the, the lingerie brand for Love and Lemons, I think it is. And I bought the, the lace, this really high-end, beautiful lace. I still have this stuff. I bought it off of a friend of mine who is a wholesale fabric guy where I used to get all my fabrics from, but he moved, unfortunately. They're still in Venice, but there's no, they don't, they're not down here anymore. So it's kind of a shame. But he said, as he does, my friend Jack Jacob, he goes, you want this? It's, it's fabric from really high-end, really high-end company. Lace, they made me make it for them. This is what's left. You can have it cheap, cheap, cheap. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what, what is this thing? And it's like this beautiful cotton and silk lace. And so I got her to wear that as a veil because the idea was to make her look like, like Mary, basically, like sort of saint-like, right? So the contrast between her as a saint and her as a, in a she's wearing an orange prison jumpsuit. Um, and so... It was interesting because her managers wanted her to wear this really awful white tank top and white jeans and white Jordans. Mm. And it was not what the director wanted. So, And then they said, well, fine, it's up to you then, Nicole, because her name her, – or Danielle, sorry, Danielle. It's up to you, Danielle, because her name's Danielle Albergoli. And um, people forget that. She's a, a cute – little teenage girl whose name is Nicole or Danielle. One <laughs> or the other is Danielle. <laughs> it's Danielle. Like yeah, I said, I'm not drunk. <laughs> I promise I'm not drunk. <laughs> we'll get you a drink after this. We promise. Oh my God. I might, I'm, maybe I'm still drunk from yesterday. I don't know guys. Who knows? Um, who knows? I don't know. But in any case, I, I'm pretty sure her name's Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole or Danielle. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I said to her while we were in the, in the fitting room, because I'm a female, so I was one of, usually as a stylist, if you're a woman, you're one of the only females on set aside from the hair and makeup team, honestly. Um, and this girl's a minor, keep in mind. And they left me in the room with her and I was helping her get dressed. And I just said to her, look, yeah, we can have you wear this 
tank top thing, or we can have you wear this gown. Just try it on and you may like it, you may not, it's fine, but you'll never know until you try it. And so then I said to her, she's like, I don't know, something, something like, I'm not so sure it's old or something like that. And then I said, look, do you want to be basic or do you want to be iconic? <laughs> oh my God. So you put it right and back then she's like, she's like, um, iconic <laughs> or something like that. I think she said, I think she parroted it back to me. It was like iconic. Like she looked at me like, like if I, if she basically, she looked at me like, duh, you should know the answer to that question. <laughs> oh my God. So I, what I totally used, in that room? <laughs> I totally used that whole thing where, cause she's in the song, the whole song is her calling people out for being basic, right? So I said, well, do you want to be basic or do you want to be iconic? And so now that, that freaking dress is everywhere whenever they, Whenever there's an article about her, they they use that photo of her sitting on the white porch with that gown with the veil. And, I don't know. It's pretty. It's pretty funny. It's pretty cool. I didn't think that that's what I was going to end up being known for, <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> You're going down like despite everything I mentioned about you working for Google and Sony and all that. Bad baby is what you're going to be <laughs> in the history books for. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I don't mind. It's like, it's, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that I've worked on that people have seen, but it's more, it's, it's more toned down. So they have no idea that they've even seen it. You know what I'm saying? Like this, there's this Nexplanon commercial that haunts me. I see it on YouTube all the time. Oh my God. And I worked on that good. commercial. Yeah. The one that they. I armor up, I armor up, I armor up with Nexplanon, the birth control that goes in your arm. And I'm like, please stop, no, I'm just trying to watch YouTube. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you guys, Melinda's probably behind some of the most common commercials you've seen, and you don't even know it. <laughs> or just random, random stuff, like I, I made a, um, a big light up crown for, Alaska Thunder from uh, Drag Race for her debut music video for Alaska and Jeremy. And so your that was fun. Too. I love it. So you talked about creating the lace veil, the crown, and I I remember um, going to your house and you had created these little bee costumes. Was it? Oh yeah, <laughs> I handmade some. Uh, bugs i made a bunch of kids into bugs for a music video for rise records i think it was um for this band um oh what is it called <clears throat> i can't remember but the the director dan centrone he's really sweet he's great he he just sent me a bunch of photos of kids dressed as bugs and he said just can you make it look like this but sad <laughs> <laughs> and I said, sure, I'm sure. So I, on Memorial Day or something like that, I spent most of the day doing crafts and making kids costumes for a bunch of five-year-olds, four costumes for five-year-olds. Um, and there were these four kids and I dressed them as a caterpillar, a ladybug, a spider boy, and what was the other one? Oh, and the bumblebee. Yeah. And it was... I made little hats for them with eyes and it was pretty fun. It turned out really well, honestly. I would I felt proud of it, but I did all four of the costumes in one day. Wow. So I, I do get random yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And I do know how to use um, some power tools too. So I've had to use for VidCon for YouTube, I made custom helmets for Marshmallow and I guess he ended up reversing in the helmets, which is kind of cool. And I was using a power sander and a jigsaw and a Dremel and all kinds of stuff <laughs> to make these things. So you have to be handy. Oh, I would just love to see because in my mind, you're always wearing vintage dresses and <laughs> I want to see you 
welding and doing working with power tools well you know what eventually i'm sure there will be another project you can come over and you can help me <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> so um speaking of um there's a lot of people who still have this perception that working as a stylist is so glamorous but like you just oh god like, you had to sandpaper and do all these things and i know you just you actually just came back from doing uh, a production in the woods can you talk about how glamorous that was well so there were two things i had a shoot a few months ago and i was working with um i was working with elijah wood and i was designing for a movie and elijah's one of the nicest people i've ever met he and his girlfriend, I did their fitting, and I'm like, these people are so nice. We need to be friends. That's how nice they were. The production company, however, was a mess. <laughs> so, that was that was a mess. Um, so there's that, and I ended up um, I ended up not on that shoot anymore, and I'm still to this day trying to get my stuff back from that shoot, for instance. So so that's crazy. But again, full dis full disclaimer. Elijah had nothing to do with the production. He was just acting in it. He's, again, one of the nicest, most down-to-earth, honest people I've ever met. And I really enjoyed talking to him. So if you're listening, Elijah, I'm sorry I vanished. You're awesome. <laughs> I'm sure he's wondering what he did to <laughs> make you. No, I, I doubt that. But he's probably thinking, like, I must have stolen a bunch of craft services or something and gotten axed. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. Oh, wait, you can get fired for that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? Oh, I'm not supposed to take all the uh, protein bars and put them in my purse? What? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, good uh, so there's that. Uh, and then on this last one, which was about a week and a half ago, it was just a nightmare. I, I got really sick from the food that they were serving. Um, and it, it's, they just wrapped today, I think, but I left the shoot early because I ended up in the ER because they were, ser they were trying to cut as many corners as possible and feed a crew of 40 people a cast and crew of 40 people on a very small budget. And so they got a cook who's never done craft services before, which I didn't find out until I was leaving. And they were making food for everyone. And it was, they were using the cheapest ingredients. Everything had lots of butter in it. Um, not really much protein or nutrients. So it was just basically carbs and grease and cheese. Was, it, um, was her name Paula Bean by any chance? <laughs> no, okay. I think I, I would have been okay with that. That may be have been better because I could have threatened her. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Continue. I would have been like, listen here, Paula. <laughs> if you don't make me proper vegetarian food, I'm going to go around telling everyone you hate half Thai people. That's right. <laughs> oh, my God. Just add another notch to the why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Blackmail her. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. So I ended up getting really sick from that. And I went to the hospital and had to get an IV because I was really dehydrated. They were really overworking me. They told me that they didn't have enough money for me to have an assistant. And I got to set. And I ended up being the only person without an assistant. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then they then they said, "Why aren't you working fast enough? Um, you should have gotten an assistant." And I'm like, "You guys are gaslighting me." <laughs> are you kidding? Oh my god! No kidding! No kidding! Um, at one point, when I was leaving the shoot, they they had asked me to leave, and I it was because I had complained about um, somebody on set that we were working with, and he was being inappropriate with me. And then they, they met, not sexually inappropriate, but just really unprofessional and disrespectful. And when I complained to the producers, they, they said, okay, great, we'll talk to him. And then they did and they came back and they were so proud of themselves. And they said, we talked to him, it's not going to happen again. And then the next day it happened again. So 
they came to me and they punished me basically for complaining. And then they even referenced the Me Too movement at one point. And I'm like, wait, you're firing me because of the Me Too movement? That's not how this works. <laughs> it's actually the other way around, guys, but thanks. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I was like, uh, I gotta go. I gotta go. But thankfully, at that point, my one of my assistants, I had actually convinced them, "Look, you gotta give me an assistant. This is ridiculous." So at that point, my assistant was on set, and we were shooting out on location in the mountains, about two hours north of LA. And it was snowing out there, and it was just very. It was. It was. I don't mind the snow, but we were tightly packed, and it was tight quarters. And again, the food wasn't very healthy or very sustenant. And my, thankfully my assistant was out there for one day and the one full day he was out there, they said, okay, well, and I said, you guys need to pay me through the week because, you know, I turned down jobs to be here. And they're like, what? We have to do that? And I'm like, yes, that's how that works. Oh my God. So, so side note to anybody who's listening, if, if you get hired on a job and you're on a contract and you turn down other jobs, you should make sure that you get what's called a kill fee because they're required to pay you. If you make a contract, you should don't just sign the the deal memo that they give you. If you're on a long project, make sure that you put a clause in there that you need a kill fee and they have to agree to it. So that's that'll be in your favor because um, you just want to deal with it. Basically, you don't want to deal with losing out on money from other so I told them, I said, you have to pay me for the jobs that I missed out on. So I got at least paid through the week. And then my assistant and I were like, peace out. <laughs> Deuces. Wow. Yeah. But the best part is they, uh, they said, I, I told them, I highly recommend you get a, a wardrobe supervisor, someone who works specifically as a supervisor. And all the actors were really angry that I was leaving because um they're like we were she's doing a good job where's she going and i heard that it ended up being a kind of a mess after i was gone <laughs> they didn't bring anybody on they got a a pa who doesn't have any previous production experience to run my department she sounds like a mess all around yeah you know it's it's really interesting i think you get you do end up with people who are kind of um, maybe not so, what's a diplomatic way to put this? Not so experienced and really want to seem experienced. So, and they're very disorganized. So instead of allowing you to do your job well, they try to cut as many corners as possible and then demand why aren't you doing your job? <laughs> Mess, mess, mess. Well, you actually yeah. said something um, that's just crazy. I'm like literally shaking my head right now. But um, you mentioned something about the getting a wardrobe supervisor. So that brings up a point that a lot of people get confused about the difference between what a stylist does versus a costume designer versus set costume. And I know a lot of um, fashion mentor followers and supporters want to do costume design, but they might think it's the same responsibilities as a stylist. Can you break down some of the differences so that people um, who use them interchangeably can realize how different those roles are? Yeah, I think that a lot of people, I mean, even people who call themselves stylists, there are a lot of let's just be real here. Just because you dress yourself cute and you have a following on Instagram and sometimes you post pictures of your butt, <laughs> it does not make you a stylist. Oh my God, Melinda. <laughs> hey, it's the God, it's the God honest truth. Okay. But. <laughs> oh my God. No, that's so true though. Like that's what I always say. Like last fashion week, everyone was a stylist, like literally every single person. And I was like, someone's lying over here because y'all are not all stylists. <laughs> I call bullshit. Um, I cannot, am I allowed to swear? I don't know. I'm sorry. It, it's okay. We're all adults here, I hope. I'm drunk, everyone. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
She just got back from the ER. Let her let her do what she wants. <laughs> I'm probably gonna be dead tomorrow. Doesn't matter. No. It's fine. <laughs> well, I'm glad we have this last memory of you. Yeah. Call out fake stylist. All right, guys. Here's the tea. Uh, <laughs> Well, so it's it's just let's so let's make that distinguish that let's distinguish that um, first. Okay, so there's there's that it's the difference between a style that a wannabe stylist and an actual stylist. So, in my mind, if you're an actual stylist, um, you're actively working, building your portfolio. You don't have to be making millions of dollars, but you're actively building your book and marketing yourself and open to always becoming better. And stylists usually tend to be someone who's just able to put clothing on people well. And there's not really necessarily any level of story involved. Um, But if you're a stylist and an art director or a creative director, then you're someone who's thinking more about the story and kind of how those weave inter how that interweaves you know that's kind of the through line for an editorial for instance for a fashion editorial um a stylist can do stuff on a music video or commercial for instance but a stylist isn't necessarily a costume designer and a costume designer isn't necessarily a stylist. So what that means is just because you're a stylist doesn't mean you know how to do script breakdowns, you don't know how to, to do custom builds. You have to, in order to be a costume designer, you have to know how to sew, preferably by hand and on the spot. And uh, if you're a designer, you're also gonna be the head of the costume department, which is a huge responsibility. And the costume designers aren't necessarily stylists because costume designers don't don't always have an understanding of current trends. And I think that it's good if you can do both, you'll always be working, but you'd better make sure that you are very knowledgeable about all the latest trends, all the latest um, color theory, the Pantone uh, color of the year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also know how to sew and know how to build stuff and all that. But and then there's also costume supervisor who's not a designer. Supervisor is just someone who literally oversees the vision of the designer on set and makes sure that everything is carried out to the designer specifications because the costume designer isn't necessarily always on set. So if you're if you're lucky um, and you're at a higher level in your career as a designer, then you're going to go design all the costumes, carry out your vision, and have a team of people underneath you who are assisting you to carry out your vision. So that's the set costumer, the uh, costume or wardrobe supervisor. They're used interchangeably. Um, and then wardrobe assistant or costume assistant. So those are the the kind of tiers. But then when you get into really big productions, you have someone who's doing the aging and the dyeing for you too. And you're just, as the designer saying, oh, I want these marks here. I want the blood here. I want this here. Uh, Can you make this distressed on the arm? Something like that. So those are the, that's the base line, I guess, description of those things. Perfect. Thanks for breaking that down because I think a lot of people just think a stylist can do the costume job or vice versa, but there are completely different set of skills required. Yeah, and my my costume design skills really help my fashion styling a lot because I build stuff. I know how to make stuff. I've made flower crowns out of roses. Um, I know how to custom custom design and sew stuff and make things on the spot. I've made a dress out of lighting gels for a model and it was featured in Naked Mag and Leica. Um, Leica actually published it in their magazine, which was pretty cool. And it's been in a couple of galleries 
and I just made this, I hand sewed a dress together out of lighting gels and I made a belt out of a zipper. <laughs> so, and it took me half an hour and it was, everybody on, on set was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> How'd you do that? Um, so it's nice because it gives you a competitive edge. Oh, definitely. And did you, um, I know you studied fashion design. Would you um, attribute those skills to that background? No, actually, as we mentioned earlier, I'm a fashion school dropout. I so you didn't get just always, <laughs> no, no, I just, ever since I was a kid, I've always, my grandmother taught me how to sew when I was three. Um, so I'm actually really, really strong at hand sewing. And when I was in middle school, high school, I used to make my own clothing all the time just for fun. I was made fun of actually, because <laughs> I always wore really weird out there outfits. Um, and I was making a lot of them. So I would just kind of experiment. I was always very interested in that stuff. And even when I was a kid, I was doing crafts. So I learned how to cut and sew basic stuff. I taught myself and used to deconstruct outfits. And I used to also make jewelry when I was a kid. So I, I just, my family is very creative. Thankfully, I'm very lucky. Um, don't fall into the stereotype that all Asian families are some conservative tiger people. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's basically uh maybe some asian cultures but southeast asian people are actually generally pretty lax so thai people specifically are very kind of bohemian and artsy a lot of the time and very accepting of if you want to have a creative job so my family was always very supportive and encouraging said do what makes you happy as long as you don't kill anyone or yourself or anything like that <laughs> Is essentially it. It's a very, it's a very, very high bar they were setting for me. <laughs> Just don't kill anyone and do whatever you want. Yeah, do whatever you want. Just do what makes you happy. Just don't kill anyone. Basically, <laughs> that's amazing. That you have such a supportive family and that you were surrounded by creativity since birth. Basically, yeah, I'm lucky. My everyone in my family can sing, draw, paint. My grandfather was actually in advertising in Thailand, um, and he used to produce commercials and art direct commercials and direct commercials for British and American brands uh, in Thailand. So my mother was in some Ovaltine commercials as a little girl, for instance, and he used to hand illustrate all the billboards for different campaigns in the 60s, 50s, 60s, and early 70s. It's pretty awesome. I grew up around that and he was always drawing me and my brother when we were kids. Same with my mother. She can draw really well. Oh, artsy family. So yeah. what advice would you <laughs> give to people who want to do what you're doing? Let's start with costume designers because you have so many talents from, you know, designing, styling, costume, creative directing. What would you say to an aspiring costume designer that they need to know before going into the business? Um, you have to be really patient and really good with people and you have to genuinely like people. I've heard of costumers and stylists who yell at their assistants. They make actors feel bad, make models feel bad. You have to, if you want to keep working for a long time, you really have to learn how to deal with people and also learn a lot of crisis diffusion tactics. <laughs> So I really recommend working in customer service before you're even thinking about getting into costuming or styling. And I also recommend doing high-end retail and getting the experience of seeing what real people look like in clothing um, and getting to know what brands fit people in different ways and how the sizes run because that's all the stuff that's going to influence you for years while you're working. Great point. So important to know how to dress different body types because not every actor or actress is sample size. No, and especially with now there's a push for diversity. So whatever, you meet a lot of, and again, I think this is maybe of the same type of vein of people who are insta-famous. <laughs> when you meet a so-called stylist who 
thinks that you have to have an attitude or be rude in order to be taken seriously, it's because they're insecure. And you just never know who might wander into your into your life and you have to be kind to that person, but you can't just go around being catty and mean to actors um, because that's somebody that you might end up on a set with and they'll go, I don't like that person. That person's awful. <laughs> please hire, please fire that person. I hate that person. So, you know, there are a lot of people there, they act so extra because they're insecure. Or I think that that's a, a really telling way um, a really telling thing that if they act like so over the top, why, what are you hiding? Are you insecure about your experience level? I don't know. Mm. So the best thing you can do is always be humble. And that includes when dealing with clients and their body types and giving frank, but kind advice. So if an actor or actress wants to wear something, um, and they're not a sample size, then it's not your job to make that person feel bad for not being sample size. It's your job to make it something happen. <laughs> make it work. And, yeah, instead of being the, the Insta stylist who's like, oh my God, yes, mm, yeah, sample size, yes. <laughs> no, that's, that's so true. And that actually um, reminds me, someone um, I met last week, they were talking about fake LA people and I always hate when people say that because we are not fake it's the people that come here from other places that pretend to be whatever Hollywood stereotype they think they need to be that are the ones giving us a bad reputation so when you said oh. yeah it's so true like when you said that that made me think about like they deep down they don't really you know they're not from here so they're just acting like what they think an LA person should be, which is not true. Not true. I think that's how that that's how you act when you want to be unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> Melinda telling it like it is all 2019. I love it. I don't care. I'm over 30. I don't give any Fs. Okay. So <laughs> I'm telling the truth. No, that's what this is for um so we talked about costume now what would you say um the adv advice you give to aspiring stylists who want to do what you're doing same advice honestly mm -hmm. i say start out in a high pressure high volume um commission-based retail job where you're meeting all kinds of different people and you're putting clothing on all kinds of different people and see how you like it. Because if you can't survive in that environment and get along with your coworkers and go a day without drama, then styling and costuming is not for you. You shouldn't be touching humans and putting clothing on their bodies. <laughs> that, that is it. I think that if you learn how to deal with people and learn all the different brands and get to know how fabric falls on people of different sizes and what cuts are flattering and not by actually living it, then that's the best thing you can do. If you can get that job and then also get an internship with a stylist or a costumer that you really admire or whose work that you admire, then I think that's a good way to go. Or even an internship at a, a fashion brand while you're doing it. That's what I did, honestly. I think it's a, one of the best things I could have done. Those are great pieces of advice, and I completely agree. Um, yeah, you definitely got to be able to work with different people, different body types, know your fabrics, um, know what works on different people's um, silhouettes and everything. So... Thank you for sharing that, Melinda. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so before we end this amazing conversation, because you got me cracking up, <laughs> um, is there anything else that you would like to end off with? Uh, what was the the question? How, were you were you asking Were you asking when my next stand up gig is? <laughs> exactly what i was asking <laughs> try the veal everyone it's great 
<laughs> no, um, I just wanted to thank you for sharing all your amazing advice because I think that our listeners can take a lot of great notes from from the gems you've been dropping today. But really, try the veal. <laughs> <laughs> noted, noted. <laughs> no cover. There's no cover after eight if you eat the veal. Well, thank I'll put you, you on the best list. <laughs> thank you. You got to excuse her, guys. Like we mentioned, she just came from the woods and <laughs> just got out the ER. In my so, mind, I'm still in the woods, guys. No, it, it, I don't know. My my closing statement would just be like I I try to have a good sense of humor, and as you can hear, I sometimes succeed. At least Brittany thinks I'm funny, so that's good. But I think that it's good. It's good to have a good attitude. And the main thing that I hear a lot of the time from producers, if they haven't worked from worked with me in a while, a producer that I used to work with a lot, she reached out to me and I had to turn down the job because I was out in the woods dying. And she, she said, I referred one of my assistants to the job. And um, I I said, I wish I could be there. And she said, I wish you could be here too. I miss you. I miss your energy on set. So let's, let's just keep that in mind that that's something that people will remember you for. And if you're just a nasty person with a nasty attitude, you won't be working for very long. <laughs> yeah. Don't confuse it with the stereotypes. The devil wears Prada will get you nowhere. That type of attitude. Yeah. Unless you... Unless you're actually in a wind tour, I don't think that you'll do very well. Yes. And yes. even then, the Anna Wintour, she's been doing this a long time and she didn't start out that way. She started as a, an intern, I think, at Vogue and worked her way up. So she, I'm sure she was getting coffee for people and being humble and being a, a gopher at one point or another. And she earned that, the right to be that way. Not that I think it's okay, but she earned that right. It's not like you can just go around being a diva to everyone. You have to earn the right. Yeah, and this industry is so much smaller than you could ever imagine. Like, literally everyone knows everyone. And I know you guys probably hear that all the time, but it's true. So, yeah, word gets around. Be nice. Yeah, I actually, the last job that I worked on, it wasn't a stylist, but it was an actor, and he's insane. And he had already kind of damned himself um, by not acting professionally, but it really put the nail in the coffin when I said, oh, God, that guy? Oh, oh, (laughs) he's awful. And another person on the set had worked with him as well and said the same thing, and then they, they fired him. They replaced him with another actor, so... Don't be difficult. He was very difficult and he showed up late and high and whatever you can imagine. And it's people eventually, he, I mean, I know he books work, but eventually it'll catch up with you. So you yeah. just, you're going to get fired at some point. Your reputation is everything in this industry. So yeah, yeah unless... Unless you're working for a jerk, then you don't want to be in their circle anyway. <laughs> so what they think of you doesn't really matter. If somebody mistreats you, what they think of you doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. You just have to take the yeah. high road. Don't go crazy. Take the high road. Yep. Always, always. And like, you know, we talked about earlier, like you never know what someone is going through. So, you know, just always be positive and be a nice person at the end of the day. That's true, though I'm pretty sure that one of the people that I'm referring to was going through a coke binge. Um. (laughs) Not that one. I meant way earlier in the conversation. (laughs) Not this one. I'm sure. (laughs) Not sure which one. I'm not sure if we're talking about the same one, but somewhere in there. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure what I I actually is his own doing. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, that's the thing, though. You do have to remember not to take it so personally because however that person's acting toward you you're not the first one you won't be the last (laughs) so it's probably not personal it's just you just kind of have to go okay sure but 
that particular person that without going into detail the particular person who was i think i think maybe on some sort of substance that makes you very moody one minute he'd be talking very calmly to me and then the next minute he'd be screaming at me and my assistants and uh I just looked at him and I, I was very calm when I responded to him. Later on, he told me that it, it weirded him out how calm I am all the time. <laughs> yeah, we all know what that is. If that's the worst thing somebody can say about you, then great. <laughs> you're so calm. What's wrong with you? I don't trust you because you're calm all the time. That's what he said. <laughs> oh, my God. Well... Yeah. Thank you again so much for coming on today and sharing your experiences. I mean, we can talk all day about your stories and I probably will have you on again just to talk about some of your stories. Um, Got and you a lot of great stories. I know you really do. Um, I think we stayed, we um went to your house and we like recorded for like an hour and we stayed like five hours after just talking. So yeah, you got stories for days. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm basically like, I'm in my early thirties, but I have, I'm, I'm like your weird 90 year old aunt <laughs> who's seen some things. She's seen some things guys. So, yeah, um, so if you guys enjoyed today's episode be sure to subscribe leave a review and we will catch you next time on the fashion school dropout thank you so much again melinda stay in school drugs aren't cool bye everyone <laughs> bye